0: Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and today I'll be chatting with producer Ted Haddock from the film Long Time Coming, which tells the story of the first interracial Little League game ever played, and one of those teams happens to be from my hometown of Pensacola, Florida. It's a really inspiring documentary and tells the story of, you know, segregation and the evolution of civil rights from 1955 when this game took place up until now. Some of the players from the team's Uh, reunite, uh, and Ted talks about the process of doing research for the film, uh, meeting some of the players, building trust with them, and also his time at Blue Wahoo Stadium because we did a showing of the film last season. So I figured with baseball season now being in full swing, this will be a fun chat to have. It was great catching up with Ted, getting to talk with him about the film, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. It's a really inspiring story. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Ted Haddock. Joined with my very special guest this week, producer Mr. Ted Haddock. How are you, sir? Uh,
1: doing great. Thanks, Derek. Glad to be on the podcast with you.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, we were actually talking a little bit before we started. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of meeting you last year when you were out at Blue Wahoo Stadium as kind of a conjunction for the showing of a film that you worked on uh, called Long Time Coming. So. I know that's primarily what we're going to talk about, but I did want to get your thoughts real quick. How was your time out here uh, in Pensacola at Blue Wahoo Stadium?
1: Oh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great night. Uh, the weather was beautiful. Um, just warm reception by uh, the people of Pensacola. Uh, Quint Studer set it all up. And uh, he's, for anyone who doesn't know who Quint is, <laughs> owner of the Blue Wahoos and all-around great guy, done a lot for the city, and um, so he really wanted to push this story and event forward to honor the, the players uh, in the film, which we'll get to in a little bit. But it was a fun night and a warm reception. It meant a ton to the group that had assembled there, the, the players that were being honored, and it was great to meet you too. So thanks for uh, um, the chance to, to uh, connect at that point.
0: No, absolutely, and it, it was cool because we had this – this big ceremony before the actual Blue Wahoos game where we showed, I think, a trailer from the film and honored the the players from both teams that, that were there. And then, if I remember right, the following day, there was actually a showing of the full film at the stadium.
1: Yeah, that was great. So uh, it was open to the whole community for a free screening at the stadium. The gates were open. People just came in. Um, there were... I think I counted, and I, if I remember, it was probably a couple hundred people there. Uh, it started to rain, and I think that scared some folks away, but we actually sat under a covered deck on, uh, I, I don't know what, what it's called there, but the concourse level, and had a great view of the screen, and so we never got wet at all, but it was um, it would probably would have been more fun had it not rained. We could have been out on the field, but um, anyway, it was a great gathering, and I think everybody who came really... Was touched by the film. Uh, it was a good, uh, diverse audience that came uh, that afternoon.
0: So to backtrack a little bit, uh, talking about you know yourself personally, uh, where are you from and where did you grow up?
1: Yeah, well, I live in Orlando and I grew up here. Uh, so um, sort of come full circle. Um, I moved away in high school, lived in Atlanta, went to college in South Carolina, went to grad school in Indiana. Lived in New York for a summer, moved to Baltimore, moved to D.C., uh, worked for a human rights organization in D.C. for 10 years, and then um, moved back to Orlando about eight years ago. So um, so that's sort of the, the path, the quick path, but it's a good homecoming for us. We love Florida, and um, having grown up in Orlando, this just feels like home to us, so we're glad to be here.
0: Now after you you moved back to Orlando how did you get involved with with the process of the the long time coming project like how did you hear about it and was film something that you know you were interested in or was it something that you just kind of fell into
1: Yeah yeah well so uh I guess two two parts to to answer the question um yeah, so my background is in the arts, really. I, I've always loved drawing and painting and ceramics, photography, and so uh, those are things I studied in school and got my master's in photography. And so from there, went on to do documentary work with the human rights organization I mentioned in D.C. So I do have some experience with storytelling and communications, branding, and um, try, you know the way I saw that chapter of my life, which I think is continuing over still, is to be a voice for those who um, don't have a voice or whose voice is not being heard. And so that's always been an important piece of, uh, I guess, my life, what what I want to apply myself to. So I never made a film before, never made a feature length film, had done some short video productions and Um, you know, some that were based in the human rights work. So we had done a couple short things, a couple short films, but this is one that um, when we learned of it, we thought this, we need to give it a full, you know, feature length attention and and do our best to tell the story in a really um, uh, compelling way, which it's compelling in and of itself. We just needed to not mess it up. Uh, to the part of the question about how did we learn about it? So it really came out of, uh, well, I'll back up a second. The reason we moved back to Florida, which we're really glad for the chance to come back, I took the lead on our family foundation, which is something that my my dad had set up a few years ago and had invited me to take the lead on it. So having moved back to do that, we, uh, we've spent a lot of time looking into the intersection of um, of our own city's history and civil rights. And when you think of civil rights history, you don't think of Orlando, Florida, as like a hotbed for anything except tourism. And um, but, you know, every every city, every place has its story, whether it's well documented or not. And so ours wasn't well documented. And so we started pressing into specifically what's the intersection between sports or baseball in particular and the civil rights movement. So throughout a lot of the story, a lot of cities in the South, particularly in the Southeast, you would find that baseball was sort of the tip of the spear in terms of um, moving into a new way of thinking uh, uh, about integration inequality, and equality. Uh, and in spite of a lot of resistance, people can find common ground in sports. And I think music is another great place where we we find common ground, but historically, baseball had led the way. So I was just really curious, is there anything here in our own city's history? And so as we did a lot of research around that subject, uh, this story emerged, and it had been sitting there for you know 60-plus years, just sort of buried in sort of the subtext of old newspaper archives and uh, a few people's memories, but it wasn't a story that was well-known at all. And so uh, we we pressed in further and tried to find people who were in the game or at the game and the players who were uh, well. I'm getting into the story of the film. We haven't even talked about what it is yet. But so in terms of filmmaking, we just it came out of the uh, the research our foundation was doing on the uh, the history of civil rights in Orlando.
0: That's interesting because it was a story that I had never heard of until I found out that you guys were going to come out here. You know, for the the on field recognition and the showing of the film, and then you know it was kind of it was talked about like what the film was about, but then as I was doing more research, I was kind of blown away that you know because I'm a lifelong resident here and had never heard of the story before, which is kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, well, it was the same thing for me. I'm essentially, lifelong resident of Orlando, and we the story is not common knowledge by any means.
0: So, kind of get into what what the actual film is about i mean we we've mentioned that you know civil rights are involved uh w- what exactly is is your film about
1: yeah thanks for asking it's just it's essentially the the story of the first integrated little league game in the south so um when you unpack that uh you, we started to realize this might have been the first officially integrated sporting event uh among kids, uh, you know, anywhere in the South. Now, if you go up to Pennsylvania or Chicago or places in the North, you would find teams that were integrated back in the 40s, maybe earlier. Uh, And Little League was an integrated, has been, is an integrated organization since its inception. I think it was in the late 30s even. Uh, So it's been around a long time. Uh, Since the, the leadership of Little League is decentralized or was at the time to local leadership, it really was uh, just relied on the local leaders, how they formed their teams and how they assembled teams. So uh, again, you would find teams of African-American kids and white kids playing together on the same team. Uh, Since that was culturally um, uh, forbidden or undesired or however you put it in the South, Uh, During those days, uh, all the teams were white and right on the heels of Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, we started to see a couple cities where uh, local African-American leaders were saying, we have an opportunity here, not only to test interstate laws on buses with the freedom rides and things like that, but we have the opportunity to, to let our kids play organized sports. We'd love to do that. That's not been possible before, and so we want to assemble a team of African American children from our community to go play with these other teams in the league, uh, which was completely um, you know viable according to little league rules. It just had not happened yet because no one had tested it. And so in nineteen fifty five you had a few teams around the South starting uh, a few African American teams starting to play in the league. And there were several African American teams that were playing against each other, but when it came time for the tournament, the All Star team from its subgroup, its its sort of neighborhood uh uh geographic area, you know, when the when the All Star teams were ready to play in the tournament, they would enter the tournament. So when this all African American team of little leaguers showed up to play the tournament in district one district one was in the panhandle including pensacola uh scambia county everyone said um nope we're not playing you guys um and they they made excuses they came up with reasons why you know they were an illegal team which wasn't true and so the the leaders of the the african-american Little League team who who had organized this team, they appealed to Little League headquarters in Pennsylvania and in Williamsport, and the Little League officials there at the headquarters said, "No, we have your paperwork, we have your information. You, we've we've read the rules. You are a legitimate team, and anyone who doesn't include you in the tournament will um, be essentially hosting an illegal tournament. And if if you're not included," then all the other teams will forfeit by hosting an illegal tournament uh, for not including you, and then you'll advance by, by forfeit to the next round, which was the state tournament in Orlando. So that's sort of the, the some of the background. And um, even with Little League's warnings to Escambia County saying, if you don't include this team, which is a legitimate team to play with all of your other White teams, you will forfeit, and they will advance in your place. Even with that warning, um, the the local um, leadership decided to move ahead without the the, the team, which is called the Pensacola JCs, and so the JCs advanced to the state tournament in Orlando uh, that year in 1955. So I think I said that in a really complicated way, but. <laughs> Hopefully, you can find parts of it
0: that make sense. No, no, no. It it totally makes sense. So it's it's basically a, a telling of the first ever documented or the first ever interracial Little League game that was ever played, and it's it's kind of crazy to think about because you know I'm from one of those cities and you're from the other city, and we're both here talking yeah. about it. It's it's kind of you know, what are the odds of that? That's kind of crazy.
1: And I'm so glad that this is part of our story because it's made a world uh, that's closer to the world I'd like to live in. Um, I'm, I know there were a lot of great things about the 50s, but had these coaches and players not had the the um, courage to step up and challenge the, the local traditions, uh, which excluded blacks from participation and, and much of life's benefits. Um, you know, we we wouldn't have a lot of the friends we do. We wouldn't have a lot of opportunities that we do. Um, so I'm I'm really grateful <laughs> that that we're we're products of these places that that had made advancements um, early on.
0: Well, I think it's a good. Uh, you know, you could look at it in one of two ways. I tend to look at it as it, it's a good way to show how far that you know, overall society has come since, since that time. And I mean, and it all had to start somewhere. And I I think, you know, even, even though it's baseball and you you mentioned it, you know, a little earlier that sports are kind of a universal language with everyone. Like everyone can find common ground with music or in this case sports and baseball was the sport back then. And it was used in a way to, bring people together which i i think was great and i think it was great that you know you guys told that story and something else i wanted to get into is you know how was the process of actually making it you know like doing your research and contacting all these people to do interviews like what was was it a great learning process for you and and everyone else that was involved with the film
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a very, very powerful learning process, and it still is. And because we have ongoing relationships with the players, uh, with their families, and this is a true investment of, um, you know, our hearts in this. So it's it's about more than making a film. Um, and as a foundation, this is all charitable work. So it never was about making money um we've we've invested a lot that we'll never see back you know financially it's just a matter of making sure the story is told uh and so yeah we um it's one of those things where you know you're getting into stuff like way over your head and i but you know you could sit and think well who am i to step into this i'm I'm not um you know i don't have a doctorate degree in uh, civil rights history or Um, you know, there's, there's just all kinds of reasons that would make this sort of an awkward, um, thing to step into, but when you see the opportunity and you, and you have a, a passion inside that, you know, what's right. And we just, we said, okay, we need to step into this. We need to develop relationships. We need to talk about some of these hard subjects that, um, that, Myself and and my ancestors, you know, we're, you know, I as a white male, you know, I'm part of the traditional dominant class, and I, I, um, you know, there's there's, uh, I have to do a lot of soul searching, and so when we we sat down with the players uh, from Pensacola, there was a big question like, are we going to be able to develop trust here? I mean. I wouldn't expect anyone to trust me. If I'm in the shoes of these players, men now in their 70s, who have lived a life uh, with uh, the wounds of segregation. I don't know how I would interact with a young white man to tell them the the, the, the bruises and things that have shaped me along the way. Um, is this just another fly-by-night group of people that are looking out to for their own interests or is this this really an opportunity to share our story with the world? So, um, you know, you can't force people to talk to you. You can't force people to trust you, but we can always present ourselves in a way that, um, that's honest and humble and learning. So this whole process has been very formative for me. I've, I've learned a ton. You know, I've, I've been somewhat of a student of, not only American history, but in civil rights in particular. And so I had some knowledge, but it becomes its a very different thing to learn about segregation and sort of a, uh, how do I put it, like a, um, in an academic sort of way, like this happened then, it's not happening now. But when you, when you meet someone, you look them in the eye and they tell you that, they were threatened at knife point by a store owner because they thought that this young 12 year old African-American kid whistled at a white girl and he didn't, but that was the assumption. He heard a whistle. He saw the, the, the kid and he came out and pulled a knife on him. Like how, like what if someone did that to my son? Like, I'd be furious. It'd be a very frightening thing. Um, and we know that just a month later after this happened, Um, Emmett Till was murdered. And of course that in many ways was the formative moment to congeal an organized civil rights movement in 1955. So um, anyway, we have a very powerful history. I think it's it's sometimes an awkward thing to talk about. And it's a sort of thing that I think if we're gonna be thoughtful learners in a way that where we actually make progress and build relationships, there has to be humility. There has to be honesty. And that's uncomfortable. Um, So anyway, when we stepped into this, we knew we had to just be humble learners. And um, after three plus years of working with this project, we've uh, on this side of it, we've uh, we've developed a lot of really rich relationships that I'm really, really, really grateful for.
0: Yeah, I was actually about to touch on that is that it, you know, I mean, the project was completed and it it seems like, you know, they they it seemed like they knew that you guys were doing it for the right reasons. At least it came off very well on screen. Like it's like you could tell with some of those stories, you could look look in their eye and you could see the the hurt in their eyes. But for them to I, I will give them credit for this to sit down and basically relive that for the purpose that they did is that takes some courage.
1: Yeah, absolutely. does take courage. Um, and so, yeah, I give all the credit to, to the players, uh, not only from Pensacola, I think the players from Orlando, they took risks too. Um, again, well-established men in their seventies who have lived a lifetime of, for the most part, living comfortable lives. And I don't think they've lived unjust lives, but it's sort of like you don't know what you don't know. And so I, I don't want to speak for others, but I'll just tell you my own observations is that there are a number of, I think everyone's been affected in positive ways, but I would say among the Orlando players, there's definitely one man in particular. And I would say more than that, uh, the majority of the teams, uh, their eyes have been open to things that they, they were sheltered from. They didn't, growing up, didn't know what was happening on the other side of the tracks. And in Orlando, there's a literal other side of the track. I think a lot of cities are that way. We actually here in our our town, we have a a Division Avenue. In 2019, it's still called Division Avenue, and it goes north south parallel to the railroad tracks. And there's all kinds of theories that try to explain away what that really means, but it's pretty clear if you look at the demographics and the history, and um, it it means what it sounds like. So. Um, So you would think that there'd be more knowledge just from living in a, in a city for decades that you sort of understand the tension that is all around, but a lot of the guys haven't. And so I can tell, you know, from things that the players have told me, the Orlando players have told me they're very, very grateful for these relationships and uh, the grace that's been extended to them to help them understand things that they were, blind to before and I think it and that's what we need I think if you, if you think of our interest in this story as a, as a nation I mean clearly we're in a time where there's a lot of divisions and um, heightened tension between this side and that side whether it's political or uh, whatever whatever the categories are you know there's a lot of polarization and, and we saw these players we saw those walls start to break down. and I think if you watch the film, you'll see that happening. So um, anyway, it's been a real privilege to get to enter into this. And and I think the, the fact is you don't have to make a film to enter into this. It's just little steps along the way, making decisions. Am I gonna engage a relationship here? And everyone has the opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And something I did want to touch back on is that, you know, you take it as, as far as how things were then. And it's explained, you know, in the film is that you have to be able to learn from it, but you can't deny it because those it's like that old saying, those who deny history are doomed to repeat it. So while I think reliving it is, is not great, but it's also a good reminder to show like how far we've come in, in that time frame, which I, which I think is great.
1: Well, one I, I don't, I won't give away the, you know, everything in the film but at one point um it feels like the bottom's dropped out and you just think i don't see the way forward and um we were very blessed with the opportunity to get to sit down with andrew young who um, you may know uh, as you know was right there shoulder to shoulder with dr king during the civil rights movement and later became mayor of atlanta and served with the un for a number of years and it's just been all-around uh, leader, pouring his life out for the, the good of our nation. And so he he just puts it very plainly. He said, a lot of people will say that things aren't any better than they were. They're just as bad. But having lived in, lived in both times, during the 50s and 60s, during the Civil Rights Movement being alive today, he says, there's no no comparison. We have come a long way. Uh, I don't think he excuses the reality that we have more to go, but we have come a long way, and I think that's worth celebrating. And and when we can celebrate that, it becomes a point of inspiration. Like, okay, how do I carry this forward? Uh, the the work's not done, but it is good to count those those celebrations along the way. And I think that's what this film does.
0: And that was actually going to be my next question. Is you you mentioned Andrew Young, but you also had names like Hank Aaron and Cal Ripken Jr. In the film as well, yeah. like how, how did you guys get them involved?
1: Uh, <laughs> praying a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I, it was sort of a long shot. Uh, not sort of. It was really a long shot for us from the beginning. And we thought we did a lot of research. We thought, well, who who played Little League? Who, who you know would have something to say about this game? Who would care? Um, and so we came up with our wish list and we started thinking who who knows who, so it was relationships. Um, uh, a friend of ours who works with the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation uh, was, was instrumental in um, the relationship with, with Mr. Ripken and he was gracious enough to give us some of his time. Um, Hank Aaron, I mean, that was like, in terms of this project, i was like the moon landing, like how in the world, I, we sat down with, with with the home run king and I was just pinching myself the whole time. Um, and as soon as we were done with the interview, I told the, the, the guys filming, I said, back that up right now. <laughs> make sure we have multiple copies because I needed to, you know, it was precious. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was relationships, open doors. We, we worked hard to, to make that happen, but really I would say it was beyond us. It was just, um, it was it was like this story was meant to be, and and I'll say that all the players involved, the major league players and uh, celebrities involved, were were very gracious and very interested. Some of them teared up at the story. Um, Mr. Aaron, very very gracious, genuine, kind-hearted man, and uh, he didn't he never played little league, and that's because he came up at a time when uh, before little league was available where he he grew up in Alabama and uh, had it been there there would have been no African American teams uh, not until later but he um, obviously is an example of endurance and um, not giving up and breaking barriers and and really this story the way way I've explained it to different people on the way is that the film tells the story of the, the it's the Jackie Robinson story, the Hank Aaron story, um, on a local level. You know, you have these barrier breakers, breakers working at a high level in the major leagues and that eventually did open doors down the road, but it didn't change the way everybody thought in the South. Um, but we needed other people to step in and challenge those social norms in the South. And so, you know, I think you could make an argument that what these kids did uh, really had a maybe an even greater local social impact because it it meant the families had to agree um, local leadership had to agree to a new way of thinking a new way of doing things.
0: No, I, I think it was a, a fantastic story. You know, I, I had the chance to to watch the full film and from a, a story standpoint and, you know, from a technical standpoint, I, I thought the film as a whole was was very very good and it told a a powerful story so I I give you guys all the credit in the world for you know tackling on a a subject like that and presenting it in a way that you know it it doesn't ignore what happened but it it portrays how things are now in a very positive way so I, I, I I give you guys a ton of credit for you know being able to tell the story as well as you did
1: Thanks,
0: Derek. So uh, I had two more questions. So you were you were a producer for the film, and I get this question a lot, and I never quite know how to answer it, because, you know, I've, I've worked on a few film sets before. Uh, what does a producer do?
1: <laughs> I've wondered the same thing <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> well, I, everybody gave they're all on this and so you know I think if you think of a team you need a lot of different talents on that team so the director uh, at least in our case the director was a creative visionary um, who developed things visually and uh, just just was able to capture the the shots uh, that we were when we were filming uh, did the interviews and um, pieced it all together in a very artful way. I think a producer in contrast to that is probably a little more in the trenches in terms of the technical details about how are we going to, how are we going to get the interview? How are we going to um, get the the rights to that historic footage? Or, um, you know, if there's just a lot of, uh, relational uh pieces to connect a lot of sort of administrative things that need to happen and uh, in a lot of cases there's funding questions you need to bring other people on board um and so yeah in our case and it may be different in different films but um as a producer i was doing a lot of that um, kind of behind the scenes relational stuff and um, speaking into some of the creative direction, but primarily that was on the shoulders of the director and I'll, I'll note too, we had several producers and I was one of, of, uh, three or four that gave their all and, uh, did an awesome job. Uh, James Bradlin, uh, John King and, uh, Ty Arnold are, are the, the other, um, producers that I got to work with.
0: Awesome. Last question. So, how can people watch the film Long Time Coming?
1: Great. Um, yeah, it's available on iTunes. You can rent it or buy it. Um, you can order, uh, same thing, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, so, you can order your copies online digitally there. Um, you can also get hard copies um, at those, I think, the same places. Um, uh, you can order in iTunes, Amazon. And even if it's at Target, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, any place you can get a movie, you can, you can look it up and order it from there. Uh, I wish this interview was coming out in about six weeks because I could tell you another exciting way to view it, but um, we can't announce that yet. So stay tuned. It'll be uh, another um, very accessible way for you to enjoy the film. But uh, for right now, um, those are the best ways, iTunes, Amazon, any other um, place where you can buy a film.
0: Fantastic. Well, Ted, thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview. It was great talking with you again, and uh, everyone should go check out the film Long Time Coming.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it. It's great talking with you, and I appreciate your work.
0: My thanks again to Ted for having that really inspiring conversation about the film Long Time Coming. Be sure to check it out. You can get it on iTunes and anywhere that you can purchase films. And also be sure to check out past episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, really anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you'd like, uh, please leave a review. It does help me become more visible to the podcasting public and gets me more exposure. So if you could do that, that would be very much appreciated. You can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again to Ted Haddock, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.